following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Good morning. Today we're going to be finishing up a series that we have started on our new vision and mission. That we are a church that if you were asked, what is Hilton Head Presbyterian Church about? We would simply say that we're about transforming lives by the power of the gospel. That we want to see spiritual transformation within the life of an individual, not just behavioral modification. Behavioral modification is easy to come by. You can apply the law and you can get someone to do what you need them or want them to do. That's external and doesn't affect the heart. That's why you see so often when people are outside of the context of that external pressure, students going off to college, business people on traveling trips uh, to different cities, uh, their behavior doesn't mark or look like the behavior that they have when they're back within the context of family or friends or, or the church. That's because their hearts haven't been changed. And what we want to see in the church is spiritual transformation, and we realize that that cannot be done by human effort. It has to be done by the Spirit of God, working through the gospel, applying that good news to the heart. And so that's what we're about at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. And taking that simple vision statement, and then moving out from that of saying, what does it look like for a life to be transformed? Uh, We've said this simply, that we are a gospel-centered community of disciple-making disciples who celebrate Christ, renew our hearts and minds through His Word, live in deep community, and serve the needs of others. So for us to say that a life is being transformed by the gospel, uh, it is a life that is living within uh, this community of believers that we're connected together through Christ, uh, that we are following Him as disciples, and that we're seeing in our lives that we are individuals, we are people, and a church who celebrate Him that we worship Him, that we come on Sundays and we look through the course of the week, both publicly and privately, uh, to give worth and value to God for who He is, that our minds are being renewed and that our hearts are being renewed by His Word, uh, that we realize that our culture is not neutral and that we are being influenced and shaped by our culture, and so we need to be renewed, that our hearts and minds need to be renewed. And that we live together in deep community. That as a transformed life, uh, you would see that you are uh, a better worshiper, celebrator of God. uh, That you are one who is passionate about reading His Word, about studying His Word, about knowing who He is, about your, your theology, so that your mind and heart are being renewed. And that you live deeply with others uh, in the church. Uh, That you are known, that you are knowing other people. Uh, We talked a couple of weeks ago the difference between an aggregation and a congregation. That an aggregation is like a a sack of marbles. uh, That they're all there, they're touching, but they're not connected together. But a congregation, that is individuals who live together uh, as Christians, are are connected like a bunch of grapes connected to the vine. Uh, That we engage one another in real and true life. And then the last thing, the last mark, if you would, uh, of a transformed life for us is that we serve the needs of others. And we simply define serving in this way, that we strive to embody our faith locally and around the world and offer the hope of Christ to our neighbors in word and in deed. We don't just talk about it, we go out and we serve their needs. 
that the Bible teaches us that by intentional stewardship of their time, talent, and treasure, Christians bring nothing less than a foretaste of the kingdom of God into reality within their given community. You recognize that. That what we do by serving the needs of others, both within the church and outside the church, and outside of the church, not just locally and nationally, but internationally as well, all of that service components, that we are bringing about a foretaste of the kingdom of God. That that we are bringing about a a taste of what Eden is like, a taste of what the renewal is like uh, of the gospel within these communities and within these lives, simply by what we are doing. And we recognize that as we go out and we serve, uh, as we go out and we, we minister in Christ's name, that the needs are so vast that it can be overwhelming. So we simply say this, that we want to aim small, that we want to have a, a very defined target, but that we, want to go, that we want to dream big in the midst of that, that we are going to aim uh, at our community here, at even to certain parts of our community here, but we're going to dream big that God can do great things through that, uh, and then we're going to go deep with them. That we don't have to try to serve uh, everyone, but we're going to try to serve some, but do it well and believe that God can do great things with those individuals. And this morning, we're going to be looking at passages of Scripture from 1 Peter uh, that highlight our need of serving others and the impact that that service has uh, in the world. We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 and then 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me there. And let's ask God now to bless the reading of his holy word. Father, we do come and ask that you would strengthen us through this, the hearing, and through the reading of your word, that by your spirit, uh, you would minister to our hearts today. We pray this in Christ's name, who came to serve us and not to be served by us, that we would see this truth and that we would go out in his name by his example and that the world would be changed because of this simple message lived out in our lives. This we pray to His glory and by His name. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And then later, Peter writes in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. This morning the outline of the lesson is very simple. We're going to look at service in these ways. The purpose of service, uh, the source of our uh, ability to serve, uh, the challenge that we face in serving, the goal, the ultimate goal of our service, and then ending with a caution. So there's going to be purpose, source, challenge, goal, and caution. First, the purpose of serving others. This is very simple. It's bottom shelf. It's not complex, it's not complicated. Here's uh, the, the intent 
or the purpose of serving others. It's to serve their needs. It's to serve the needs that they have. Not the needs that we perceive that they have, but the actual needs that they have. Jesus approached a blind man in the Gospels, and when he came to the blind man, he asked a fascinating question of the blind man. He asked him this, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? A fascinating question, and one that we would think is actually silly for the Son of God to ask a blind person what they would want, because what in the world would a blind person want? A blind person would want to be able to see. But why did Jesus ask the question? I think he asked the question as a teaching opportunity for us all these years later to understand that serving, that going out and serving in his name means that we serve their actual needs. Because when you ask that question of, what do you need from me? You can't control the answer. The answer may come back, I need you to heal my blindness. The answer may come back, I need you to engage in my addiction. I need you to engage in the messiness of my life. I need money. I need food. I need education. I need a voice because I'm a marginalized individual within our culture. I need something. And we are at that point obligated, at least in this way, that we can't then manipulate or we can't determine, oh, well, I'll give you X, Y, or Z when it won't actually meet their need. So serving simply means serving their actual needs. Too often we, we have what has been called recently, or more recently, a toxic charity. Uh, where we say, we the church uh, want to help your needs, and we want to do it in a way that makes us feel better, so we're going to go and do these things. We're going to, and it's not a bad thing to give backpacks, but what if the school doesn't need backpacks? It's not a bad thing uh, to go and to send different things uh, around the world uh, to children around the world, but what if they need more than that? What are their actual needs? So often what happens is we create a dependency uh, versus coming in and actually uh, presenting opportunity for renewal, uh, for change, and for challenge for the individuals to, to come and to, uh, to change what is happening in their lives. You see, service is very simple. It's asking, what do you need from me? That's been our design across the street. When we have looked at the public school system across the street, uh, we've said to them, what do you need from us? And fascinating, they've said, we don't need backpacks. We don't need tutoring. What we need is a church to come and maybe paint the bathrooms of the middle school. A church to come and if there are some men in the church, to mentor the young people in our schools because so many of these individuals are growing up in broken families, that the mothers are matriarchs, the grandmothers are raising these children. These children need a male voice, a godly male voice uh, to speak to them, that a young man needs to hear masculinity from a man, that, that he needs to have that voice in his life. That they've said, you know, it's not glamorous, but in the high school and the middle school, they have resource closets there, pantries, and in those are uh, everything from hygiene uh, products for boys and girls to food and simple staples because so many of these children uh, don't have them. And they said, if you could stock those pantries for us, it would be great. Well, you see, none of those things are necessarily uh, front page material. And none of those things are exciting. And it's a bigger commitment. It gets a little messier, uh, if it were, especially in the mentoring side, to engage in the life of an individual but we've simply taken on uh, the position that Christ had of asking, what are your needs? 
And then not over-promising and under-delivering, but saying, what are your needs? And then seeing how we, as a church, can mobilize the resources, the vast resources that God has given to us to go and to meet that need. So the first thing, the purpose of service is simply to serve the needs of others. Second question, well, how do we go and do that? How do we, uh, what's the source of our ability uh, to do this? Well, it says uh, in this passage, uh, it says that we have been given uh, the strength that is in chapter 4, verse 11. He says, by the strength that God supplies, so that we are empowered by the Lord to go and to do this. He gives us that ability. I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit more in a moment. So as we consider the source of our serving, our ability to serve, the first thing that we see is we look to the example of Christ. That Christ's purpose in coming was to serve others. In Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 35 to 45, uh, Jesus says, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you uh, to do for us whatever we ask. What an amazing question. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Again, James and John, what self-awareness they had, the audacity of that statement. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be highlighted. They wanted to be on the front of the magazines. They wanted to be uh, the ones who everybody said, hey, look how great these men are. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or, to, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. So there is a squabble uh, happening uh, in the midst of all of this. And Jesus, uh, like a wonderful kindergarten teacher, had to gather his little children around him. So it says that Jesus called them, all twelve, to him and said to them, You know that those who were considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, you are missing the point of ministry. The point of ministry is not for you to be known as great. The point of ministry is actually for you to become a servant, to become a slave, a doulos, one who is under the authority of another. That even the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, served, but to deacon, to serve the needs of others. And so we recognize that if we're going to go out in Christ's name as Christians, bearing his name uh, as disciples, followers of his, into the world uh, to to serve as he served, then we need to serve as he served. That was his sole purpose. And if it was the sole purpose of Christ, then it should be the singular purpose of the Christian as well. It's not a snap-on ministry that we add on to the end of a list of other ministries that make us feel better about ourselves. It has to be central to what we are and who we are. And if we are not serving the needs of other people at sacrifice to ourselves, at cost to ourselves, then it brings into question whether or not our hearts are truly being transformed. We can say, oh, we love worship. 
Oh, I love my small group. I enjoy my supper club. I enjoy that. But oh, I don't like serving the needs of other people. It's too messy. Then the question becomes, are you understanding who Christ really is? Because Christ had great fellowship with his friends and disciples. That he constantly opened uh, God's word and taught from it. That he was one truly who worshipped but he understood equally as important was serving the needs of others. So we have Christ's example. And in Christ's example, we also see the people to whom Christ served, or the people Christ served. That we recognize that Christ went in and he served the socially marginalized and outcast, the racially marginalized and outcast, the morally marginalized and outcast. He went in and he sat with a Samaritan woman. A woman who was of of mixed pedigree, of mixed races, hated by the Jews. And not only was she a woman, and he was with her in society at that time, talking with her and engaging her. A rabbi would never have spoken to a woman. But Christ, serving her needs, came and spoke to her. And she was a woman who had had multiple husbands and was currently living with a man who was not her husband. Uh, That she was a social uh, and ethical and uh, moral outcast. That he came and he ministered to her. He ministered to the tax gatherers. He touched the lepers. Uh, That he went in and he engaged the people that the religious society of the day, the church of the day, didn't engage and wouldn't engage. And Christ didn't consider any of them to be below him, but he went and touched and served them. And so here's the point. If it wasn't beneath Christ to serve them, then it can't be beneath the Christian to serve them either. That we have to go and cross racial lines. That we have to cross social lines. uh, That we have to cross socioeconomic lines and moral lines. That we have to be engaged with those people. You know who those people are in your mind. Each of you has, when you hear me say those people, you have someone in that category. And Christ is compelling us by His Spirit to serve those people. People who we wouldn't normally hang out with. People who we may uh, have incredible differences with. And He's saying though, Go and serve them. Go and consider their needs and then engage in the life-giving, the kingdom life-giving work of serving and caring for them. You see, Christ intentionally went to them and He intentionally touched them. And we need to do the same thing, to follow His example, to go to the same people. Because folks, here's the deal. If it wasn't beneath Christ, it can't be beneath us. And if we believe that it is beneath us, then we are saying that we are better than Christ and above Him. And none of us would want to say that, at least not verbally. We feel it and we think it, but we would never want to verbally say that out loud. And so we recognize uh, that our source uh, of power, our source uh, of going, uh, the, the way that we understand serving is by looking at Christ, of His mission, of going to the ones who He served, by going in His power. That it says that we're empowered by God. That we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And if Christ Himself is dwelling in us by His Holy Spirit, that that same Spirit, now Christ Himself, uh, desires to go out and serve the same people. He is mobilizing you and me to go and do that. That His passion and mission hasn't changed over the years. That He wants us now empowered, strengthened by Him, a, a source now beyond ourselves. That gives us an ability beyond ourself to go and to do these things. To over. 
overcome uh, our own prejudices, to overwhelm our own shortcomings with a power that is heavenly in its it's heavenly in all of its different ways. That, it, that it's cosmic in that way. That it comes from a different place. It's not earthly. That we're empowered by Him. And we're gifted by Him. Chapter 4, verse 10 says to employ the gifts that you have. The gifts that you have been given. Use these gifts to serve one another. Interesting, right before that, he says, do all of these things without complaining. Too many people within the church think that complaining is a spiritual gift, and they exercise that gift regularly. He says, serve in the church and outside of the church. Serve without complaining. Serve by the power of Christ to the people that Christ served with the example of Christ and go and use the gifts that you have and each of you has been uniquely gifted to go and do something. This morning we heard uh, Craig Ostergaard talking about going out and serving physically of helping rebuild homes, of cutting down trees after the storm and all of that. And he joked and we joked together that he had no discernible giftedness in any of those areas. Now that's not to belittle Craig but it's simply to say this. God gifts us in different ways. He gifted Craig with a passion. And then he allowed him and actually blessed him with some gifts that he didn't even know he had to go out and to do these things. Craig and Jim Hill have incredible gifts of organization. And they've helped organize and mobilize this ministry for our church. And I hope that, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes, I hope that you'll come and join us on the 30th of this month as we go using our gifts to reach and serve the needs of others on our Serve Saturday. So first, the purpose. We've seen the purpose. Now we understand the source. So why is this so hard? Well, it's because there's a challenge. The challenge that we face. There is an internal challenge and there is an external challenge. There is a battle that is taking place that so often keeps us on the sideline and keeps us from actually engaging in the fight, engaging in uh, this incredibly important part of serving the church, or excuse me, serving the needs of our community uh, in the name of Christ. Robert Rayburn wrote this many years ago. There are people in the Christian church, even real Christians, I dare say, who hardly ever fight the good fight of faith. They have no scars to show that they have fought their master's battles. They never slept in their clothes with their swords at their sides. They are strangers to the struggle that other Christians know so well. Ask them how to fight your battles with sinful desires that war against your soul, and they will give you a blank stare in return. They don't know what you are talking about. They do not know what it is to be weary of watching for the Lord, of lifting their eyes to the hills from whence comes their help. The devil has seldom troubled them because they aren't worth the effort. There is a battle, folks, going on. There is a battle that the evil one recognizes this. If he can neutralize you and keep you in our pride, in our arrogance, in all of these things, keep us from stepping down and into the mess of life that surrounds us, into the messiness of someone else's life to serve their needs, to serve the needs within the church and outside of the church. If he can keep us from doing that, he has basically neutralized us because he understands the incredibly powerful effect that serving in word and deed has of bringing the gospel to bear and seeing many come to faith. And there is an internal battle in verse 11. It speaks here in chapter, 
1, excuse me, chapter 2, he says, As sojourners and exiles, abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. These fleshly lusts, these cravings, by their very nature, they wage war against the soul. And so it is the very nature uh, of your unredeemed flesh to war against the spiritual new life that God has placed in you, Galatians 5, uh, that it is this battle that is taking place inside of you. And this battle is basically saying, don't go and do it. Don't go serve them. Your desires are wrong to serve the needs of others. You should stay and do this. And this is an internal fight that so many of you have that you come up with excuses where we come up with incredible reasoning of why we shouldn't do these things. But we have to fight the battle. That we have to make God our passion and His passions our passions. So there's that internal battle that is taking place. But there's also an external battle. It says in verse 12 of chapter 2, that we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against us. You see, there actually is a culture that speaks against the church. How many of you would consider uh, the church in our day and age of having a stellar reputation uh, in our culture? That's exactly right. No one would. That our culture sees the church as in a negative light. It doesn't see the value of the church. And I believe in large part because the church has stopped serving the needs of others and has so internalized its service that it only serves the needs of itself. That we take care of our own, which is important, but we only take care of our own. And the gospel says that we go out. And so we hear others say uh, to us, why are you doing what you're doing? Some of you who serve uh, regularly and give up your time to come, some of your non-Christian friends would ask, why are you doing this? This is a crazy use of your time. Why would you do this? Why are you spending your money? Why are you giving away? Why are you taking vacation time? Why are you doing that? They revile you. Or maybe they even attack more personally. How is it that you think that you're so good that you should do this? They attack you. And it's an internal and it's an external battle. But it is a battle that we have to fight. Because if we just sit on the sidelines, we not only miss out on the blessing that comes to us by going and serving, but we miss out on the ability that God has given us to proclaim His Gospel through word and deed. So there is a battle that is transpiring. So we've seen the purpose of service is to serve the needs of others. The source of our ability to serve comes from Christ, His example, His power. That there is a challenge within it that we are in the midst of a battle, a spiritual battle. And then we have to ask, okay, I'm willing to, to fight this battle. I'm willing to engage. I'm willing uh, to use my, my gifts. But ultimately, what's it for? Is it really just to give a meal? Uh, is it really just to fix a house? Uh, is it that small? No. Life is too small anyway. Our culture and humanism says that it's all about this life. I was, I was considering recently this idea of how so many of us feel insignificant in what we're doing. And right here in this part of the Scripture and in this part of our mission statement, this expands it so much that we see the larger story and the larger picture. The ultimate goal of service is never service in and of itself. The ultimate goal of service is to bring glory to the Lord. Listen to these last couple of statements. That they may see your good deeds, that is your service, 
and they would glorify God on the day of visitation. That they would see, it says, in order that in chapter 4, verse 11, that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our service has a greater purpose. Humanism's focus is on humanity and on human efforts only. Humanism says that people can find purpose in life and maximize their long-term happiness by developing their talents, using those talents for the service of humanity. And that's good, but it's not ultimate. What we're saying is this has something greater. The ultimate purpose of serving others is to bring glory to the Lord, to point people to Christ, to let them see the weightiness of who God is, to bring, as we've said, a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven, even now of that renewal that takes place, of the provision that God says that He has for His people, uh, that He can overcome the giants of this world, uh, that He can come in and He can do something for people who society has marginalized. And that we say we're bringing about a weightiness to life, that we're pointing them towards something greater to themselves. So that at the end of the day, people don't go, oh, what an awesome church Hilton Head Presbyterian is. But they would say, what an incredible God that Hilton Head Presbyterian serves because the people of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church at great sacrifice to themselves are going out into the world and they're serving the needs of other people and they don't care whether they get the credit or not. On those little pantries in the high school and middle school, it doesn't say this pantry provided to you by the generous gifts of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. When we paint the middle school in a couple of weeks, it's not going to say this work done by the people of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. On the bags of groceries that are going with bumper crop, it's not saying this is about Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. The Scriptures say don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because we want all glory to go to the Lord. We want people to see the greatness of who God is. Not the greatness of who we are. That we want to see that our purpose in doing this is to bring about a shalom. To bring about a flourishing into the world that has been lost because of the fall. The Scriptures say that when the church prospers, when God has blessed His church, that the people, that the, that the city, that the town around it, that the low country around, because God has so blessed us with His Word, with His worship of knowing Him and all that, because we have been so richly blessed and prospered, that our area rejoices. That it says where Christians go in the desert, where we go, it says that those desert places, because of our very presence, become springs of living water. They become places of life where we go. That we see a greater cause and a greater purpose that we are bringing about within our ministries, shalom. A foretaste of the flourishing peace that God offers to us in Christ. And for us to only do that in word, to say, come to Jesus, but yet leave them naked. Come to Jesus, but not feed them. Come to Jesus, but not deal with their addiction. Come and hear about Jesus, but not care for their life would be short-sighted and unbiblical. Christ always came giving word and deed. That you see, he said, when you go to the prison and you minister to the prisoners, you do it in my name. 
to the men who faithfully go to Kairos ministry and serve in the prisons are doing it to the glory of God. They're serving in his name that those who minister to the widow and to the orphan, those uh, who minister to the unwed mothers, those who minister to the impoverished, those who minister uh, to the addict are doing so in the name of the Lord. The ultimate goal of our service to others is to point and lead people to the Lord so that they may see him as glorious and to see him as worthy of their lives. Now I would be remiss if I didn't add at the end of this a word of caution. As a parent in our homes, when we encourage our children to go out, we remind them often of all the positive reinforcements of why their behavior, hey, you're a McCutcheon, hey, you're a Smith, hey, you're a Jones. And in that, we have certain family values that we hold. And as you go out, hold those family values of honor, integrity, speak with dignity, behave with dignity, honor other people in these ways. And we tell them, go and do that. This is your purpose. This is part of who you are as a young man, as a young woman going out. But as a good parent, often we add this little line at the end. And if you decide not to do that, remember, if you decide to break these things, there will be consequence to you. And it's the same way. That's what the Lord does as well. He adds a word of caution. And the word of caution, I believe, is to bring a gravitas, a gravity to the service of the needs of the poor and needy within the community, within the world, the the needs of others even within our church. For he says, I don't want you to think that it is on the perimeter, it is uh, peripheral uh, to the ministry of the church, but it is central to the DNA. It is vital to the very life of the church and of the Christian You see, serving the needs of others is not an incidental within your Christian life. It is an essential component of your Christian and spiritual transformation. God cares deeply for our care of those around us. If I was to ask you a question of why was Sodom destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, why was Sodom destroyed? Most of you would say, if you've read or familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was because of their gross immorality that the Lord destroyed the city. And that is partially true. There was gross immorality. There uh, there was a total rebellion against God and the purity and the beauty of who God was and living in ways that didn't bring honor to the Lord. And he had warned them constantly and regularly. And finally, it says that he disciplined them by destroying them uh, to turn them back. But there's a fascinating passage that I read in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 48 to 50, a number of years ago, and it stopped me in my shoes. Because all of a sudden I recognized, by God's word, that the destruction of Sodom was for another purpose as well. That it had another cause as well. Listen to this. As I live, declares the Lord God, Your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. That could be a description of the low country. That could be a description of even our area of where we live. That we have excess of food, that we have prosperous ease, and that there is a general pride of life that we have. Of look what we have earned, look who we are, look what has happened. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. But they did not aid the poor and needy. 
They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. They didn't care for the needs of the poor and the needy. God cares so much for the needs of the poor and the needy that He destroyed Sodom in large part because they didn't care for them. Folks, we have to have a wake-up call. This is a great cautionary statement to us to say, wake up. I have prospered you. I have given you incredible resources, but for the purpose of stewarding them for my sake, for my heart and my passions, not for your own. So a simple question. Do we really care for the needs of the poor? Do we really have a heart for the needy? Are we willing to cross political, social, ethic lines uh, to go uh, in and to minister in His name to those who have need? A couple of calls to action, if you would, as we end today, because you may be asking the question, all right, what can I do? What, what do I need to do uh, then? How, how can I engage this? Well, here's a few things. As you leave today, you're going to see uh, volunteers who are standing out by the front door holding uh, a brown paper sack, an environmentally friendly brown paper sack. And on that is stapled a list of food products that we would like you to fill. It's called Bumper Crop. And we have made this as easy as we possibly can for you because we've told you exactly what to put in the bag. We've provided the bag for you. It's even going to be handed to you as you walk out so you don't have to go out of your way. And then you just fill the bag. And you bring it back and you leave it at your bumper in the parking lot. And servants will come, men and women will come uh, to pick those bags up and then to disperse them to different ministries and agencies around the area that we serve in this way. That you can take that simple bag, you can even call Harris Teeter ahead of time or get online. They'll fill the bag for you. You pay for it online. You pull up. They put it in your car. So really the only exercise that you have, the only physical exercise you have in this, is to take the bag out of your car, set it by your bumper, and that's a way that you can serve the poor and needy. Or you can sign up as you leave today and help and serve the needs of the public schools across the street. That we're going to minister to the middle school on September 30th. We're going to have lunch afterwards. Uh, and we're going to go paint. And we're going to clean. And we're going to bless the school. And some of you may be saying, hey, we're in Bluffton. Or we don't have children at the public school. I recognize that. Remember, we're going to aim small. We're going to start small. We're, we're going to dream big that, hey, we believe that one day we can go and get into Bluffton schools and do that in Bluffton, but we're going to start here and we're going to go deep here, though, and then expand that out over time. We're not going to shotgun pattern and do everything. So a call to action, simply go and help there on, this, on Saturday the 30th. Inside the church, we've been focusing a lot more on outside the church, but a call to action inside the church is Janice Magnan is in constant need of people to sign up and help with nursery to serve the needs of others, children in our church. Tim needs men and women to help mentor and guide our students as they try to navigate this crazy world uh, in which we live, that we need volunteers in the church. Everyone seems to enjoy a cup of coffee. Well, the coffee doesn't magically appear. There's people who need to serve, and so we need you to sign up to serve even within the context of the church. 
to go and to visit a Mary Baker, one of our faithful servants here and members for so long who's shut in now and would love to see friends from the church. To pick up Dick Riggler, who's unable to drive anymore, and to bring him from his home in Hilton Head Plantation to church so that he can worship and be with his friends here. Or you can simply do something on your own. Don't wait for the church to coordinate it. Go and serve the needs of others on your own. Grab a few people and do something on your own. Because you see, at the end of the day, the Lord looked into our great poverty. He looked into our great need. And instead of standing outside of it and giving us instruction of how to get out of it, he entered into the middle of it in Christ. And he came and he redeemed it. And he's redeemed us. And he's now sending us to step into the mess into the poverty, into the chaos of the lives of others who are around us so that we can bring about a flourishing and a shalom. So in your passion to be transformed by the gospel, I hope that a part of it will change your heart to serve the needs of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ who didn't stand outside of our poverty but became poor on our behalf who didn't stand outside of our struggle, but entered into the struggle with us and for us. And I pray that now we, your people, empowered by his spirit dwelling in us, would do the very same thing. Go before us today in all that we do and say. Amen.